Hello, hello. I am Karen Jean-François, and this is the Women in Data podcast, a podcast where every other week I interview some of the most inspiring women working in data. They discuss how data is used in various industries, share their knowledge and experience in the field, and equip you with tips to help you overcome challenges on your career and feel great. Let's get straight to it. I am joined today by Candace Holm, Director of Product Analytics at Carlytics. Being a first-generation college student, Candace faced quite a few challenges in her journey to become a leader in data science. In this episode, she shares a story of self-discovery and of overcoming limiting beliefs that were stopping her from feeling like she belonged in a career in data. Sounds familiar to me. But most of all, she shares a story of courage. Hi, Candace. Thank you so much for joining me on the Women in Data podcast. I am super excited to have you with me today. I don't think we've ever met in person, but we've definitely been chatting a bit over the last year or so. That's right. Yeah, it's great to be here with you today. Thanks for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. And I just appreciate the opportunity. Um, Like you said, I think we met about a year ago through uh, different meetings and different calls. Uh, So I hope we do get to catch up in person someday. Yeah, fingers crossed. Today we're talking about really building confidence and in yourself, but also in your career. So it's kind of a personal story slash how it impacts work, which is very important because this is something so many of us struggle with and your story is just amazing. I feel like there is so much bravery in your background and the way you built your confidence to become the leader you are today is really, first of all, relatable, but also very impactful, I believe. And that's a great story to share. But before we get into that, can I invite you to introduce yourself? Uh, sure. Uh, so we talked a little bit. My name is Candace Ohm. I am currently the director of product analytics at Cardlytics. And what that means is I'm responsible for a lot of the quantitative analyses that drive the roadmap and product strategy at Cardlytics. So I work directly with product managers on uh, the features and platforms that they are building. And we kind of figure out what is the right path for the next steps uh, by looking at the data and understanding what has the largest impact for the company. I also manage uh, all of the analytics for the Dosh Consumer app, which is ultimately where I came from. Uh, I was working at a startup in Austin called Dosh uh, that was acquired by Cardlytics about a year ago, year and a half-ish ago. And uh, that's how... I came to be where I am today. So the fact that you mentioned Dosh and you definitely use the word startups or a startup called Dosh. And I feel like startups been a very common theme in your career. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Uh, yes, that is very true. Uh, so a little bit more about me. I come from a family of entrepreneurs. All of my parents, my aunts and uncles, everybody Most of them had a, a small family-owned business, uh, just a shop supporting a small town. And it, it was kind of always in my blood and kind of ingrained in me to just want to understand business and wonder, want to understand 
how things operate and fit together. Uh, so when I graduated with my PhD, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do uh, as a career. I wasn't quite sure what was the best fit for me. But when I heard about the Austin tech, or really just the tech startup community, that's what drove me to Austin and drove me uh, to get into this field. It seemed fascinating to me to be able to do the same thing that my family did, uh, only on a, a larger scale and figure out how to really grow a company from nothing. And that has been a passion of mine ever since. And that's fascinating. I just love how your upbringing actually impacts your career choices and and everything. So although you decided to go a different path, you did not open a shop but you still have this drive to understand business that comes from what you've seen in your family. This is, it just shows the importance of role models, really. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. When I decided to become a mathematics major, I think the thing that really drove me toward going into graduate school and really inspired me to go get my PhD was definitely one of my professors. She just, she saw how hard I worked and how stubborn I was and determined to solve a problem. And uh, she saw that as uh, just having the grit that it takes to sit down and uh, focus on a graduate level program and do what it takes to finish a PhD. Um, so it was a major inspiration for me. She told me to do it. <laughs> I, I took her advice and just decided to never look back. I uh, decided that, yep, she was a good mentor, a good person uh, to take leadership from. And after following her advice, I it, it pulled me down a different path of what I haven't seen in my family. Um, we I was first to go to college uh, in my family. So it was kind of a big step to go through a PhD program, but just leaned on people every step of the way for inspiration on what the career would, could look like and uh, what would my life would look like. And it has paid off. It's, it's led me to where I am today in a fascinating, fast-moving company, uh, learning new things on a regular basis. Yeah, and you haven't been doing things halfway, right? <laughs> you first in the family going to university, studying mathematics, not the easiest subject, but also going all the way to a PhD. That's very impressive. And we're going to talk in a moment about how that impacted how you are seeing yourself as a professional and your careers and your leadership style, etc. But before we get into that, I want to step back to what you said about, so you drove to Austin and to start working because that you've seen, you wanted to work in this startup environment, helping company grow and all these things. So when you arrived in Austin, it was a new city for you. You just arrived by yourself. What kind of beliefs did you have at that time and how did it impact your your first few years? Uh, it was a very scary moment in my life. Uh, I will say that. I didn't really know anybody in Austin. Uh, I had a good friend who had a friend uh, who let me crash on their couch for in, in the slowest amount of time. Uh, so I was lucky to have somebody who could support me when I didn't wasn't didn't have the most financial stability. Uh, so it was extremely scary, but I had it in my mind and had decided that uh, just being there and being able to talk, be, being there as an Austin, being in the city and being able to talk to people and network and connect with people was likely the best way to find a job uh, rather than stay safe in Tallahassee where I was. 
So you went there before having a job lined up. That is correct. I did not line up. I was finishing with my PhD and uh, knew I needed to figure out the next step in my life. So uh, it was taking a leap of faith and trusting myself uh, that I could make it work out. And that's exactly what I said before. So much bravery because when I moved to London, I was in a similar situation where I didn't know that many people, where I knew I could potentially find a job, but there was no way I was going to leave Paris without having signed a contract. So I spent almost half a year flying back and forth for interviews and, <laughs> uh, before I actually decided to move to London. So I'm very impressed that you actually stepped in the city without a job. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it was... It was a good memory, I think. It was. Uh, it took a little bit of bravery and it took a, a bit of a push. Um, and it was honestly a lot more challenging, I think, to make friends and build a network just because it was a different phase in my life. I think it's, you know, professional life is different than your college life. So it was mm. to be a lot like college uh, and stepped in and in hindsight realized, oh, this is, uh, people are older, people have families and it's... Uh, a little bit different orientation. Whereas when I was in college, it was my friends were my family. <laughs> so yeah, that was the big transaction transition that made it very hard. But overall, it, it deemed to be worthwhile. It just it took longer to get what I, I thought would come easily. Yeah, and making friends as an adult is definitely very difficult. <laughs> so once you found the job, and I, I do love the fact that you still remember it as a as a good memory and something that was worth doing. Did you feel like you had this kind of you had several moments like that in your career where you know you had to I guess, do these kind of leaps where a leap of faith where you had to make a decision and actually go for it and that was a bit not crazy but not very common and it was taking a lot of courage to do it. Um. I think being a woman in STEM is the part that I can relate relate to that uh, mostly after being in the career. It's, as we all know, numbers-wise, there are not nearly as many women in the job force uh, working in engineering, working in analytics as there are men. Uh, and I, I think that's always kind of been at the back of my mind, uh, especially knowing you know the history and knowing that pay rate is eighty percent uh, lower, eighty percent of a female's pay rate. Sorry, is eighty percent of what a male's pay rate usually is. So it's always been ingrained in my mind to what can I proactively do and how can I help make that shift. So. I would say that's where the biggest leap of faith constantly comes in for me. I don't think there's a dramatic moment that I can name where it was, hey, I did this one thing that was mm. completely outside of my bounds. But it's I see it more as a day-to-day -day taking small steps of courage to help make sure that I am doing my part in driving equality uh, with my own actions. Yeah, and that's such an admirable thing to do. So I want to talk a bit about your work and all these confidence. So it, it does feel to me like you're a brave and confident person to, to start with. But coming from where you came from, I am 100% sure that you had some challenges. You had these moments where you had some doubts about 
maybe not your capabilities, but how you were fitting in in the team and in the, the industry you were in. Could you tell us a bit, maybe moments where you felt like it was difficult or if you were comparing yourself with other people that was maybe slowing you in your career progression? Yeah, uh, I think a lot of what drove me to was a little bit naivety and not, I, I think not knowing what to expect or not knowing what the environment was like made it a little <laughs> bit easy in some ways to be courageous. But yeah, where that did help me struggle a little bit or where I did have some struggles uh, was dealing with the other end of that is once I'm not naive, uh, then it is a little bit uh, hindering and uh, prevented me from being so brave. Uh, so a great example is uh, when I first started my career, I remember I had a manager uh, who told me that his uncle was uh, number 10 at Google. And I remember oh. the, <laughs> yeah, the 10th employee at Google. Uh, so I remember just being blown away by that fact and realizing it's like, oh, this is this is the world that I live in. You know, I come from this small town in Michigan uh, where there's a lot of farms and it's uh, a lot of people don't go to college. This is a little bit kind of, to your point, extreme uh, what I did with getting my Ph.D. to now I'm in an environment where there's people who just grew up in this tech environment and they've seen this since the day they were born. How do I even relate to that or compete with that? <laughs> yeah, and early in my career too, uh, on the same topic, I remember I went through a phase where, uh, as many people do, uh, job skipped uh, quite a bit. So I had a couple of years where there was kind of a couple of things on my resume is a good way to say it. Of I just worked at a company a couple months. It wasn't the great the greatest fit, and uh, I was out fairly quickly. I remember that too. All of these were moments that I was extremely hard on myself and told myself, this is not normal. This is not the right fit for me. And I, I remember having a moment uh, when I was between jobs that I would just walk around Austin quite a bit and take in the scenery and just stare out into the river and ask myself, am I in the right environment? What do I do? Yeah, I can relate to that. I, I had a massive moment like that as well. And I I do feel like, you know, we talk a lot about inclusion and belongings and all these things nowadays. And it's so important when it comes to, I mean, your confidence, actually, if you feel like you don't belong or if you feel like, oh my God, everybody's so different than me and uh, come from a different background. I I'm not talking about race or gender here. I'm talking about yeah. overall uh, <laughs> because belonging, <laughs> it includes everything. It's so hard to actually find your, your voice in your space, especially if you're going in for a leadership position. Yeah, I... I completely agree and understand. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, this is not a gender thing. It was just a, it was a me thing, not knowing my place, not understanding where I belonged in the industry or what I should be doing. I just remember telling myself, okay, I'm going to give it one more shot. I'm going to give it one more chance. I'm going to get a job and recover from the stage that I'm in at the moment. And I think once I get a chance to get back on my feet, then I can make a solid decision so that I'm coming from, you know, a sound mind of positivity and uh, abundance as opposed to <laughs> just trying to make it on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, and interested, sorry to be interrupting you. I'm interested to hear a bit more about this uh, thought process of I'm going to give it one more shot because you were talking about 
walking around the city, looking at the river and thinking, I do not belong here. Uh, maybe I should, I don't know if you thought of changing industry fully. I know I did. Uh, I don't know if I told you this story, but at some point I I tried to be a baker. <laughs> so I thought, I'm going to be a pastry chef because I can't work in data. This doesn't work for me. So I'm really curious to hear about how you actually got yourself out of this situation and someone who maybe is weighted down. Do you say that? Weighted down by limiting beliefs and this feeling of not belonging in the industry or in the role they're in. How can they overcome that and move past this? Is this the role I'm meant to do or just feeling a bit more confident about their skills and capabilities? Yeah. So the thing I struggle with the most, maybe not the most actually, but something I struggle with pretty deeply is I'm a strong introvert and it takes a lot for me to go up and ask for help uh, for somebody else. So networking, talking to strangers, I have no problem with, but for some reason going to a friend and saying, hey, I'm looking for a job, can you help connect me, is not something that's really to me. Uh, and as, as silly as it, says, it sounds to say that out loud, even uh, for myself, for whatever reason, I, I didn't do that uh, early in my struggle to find myself. Uh, but yes, eventually, after not working long enough and being out of a job long enough, I connected with some friends and a friend helped me uh, find a job at DOSH uh, through a connection that she made. And uh, once that happened, everything changed from there. So she connected me with me to her former boss uh, at a company. Um, he ended up hiring me into Dosh. And uh, to be honest, it's been a very big career change for me at that point. So I was hired in as a, a lead, a business intelligence lead. Uh, I helped grow the entire analytics team at Dosh itself. And then eventually became uh, to the leadership position I'm in today, which is, like I mentioned, director of product analytics. I love that. <laughs> it's been a fantastic so, recovery and, and flip around from where I was before, for sure. Do you feel comfortable speaking with your friends about these things now, <laughs> now that you've done it once? I, I feel more comfortable and I've made a lot more friends along the way at Dosh. Uh, really, I think that experience kind of stemmed and shaped my career at Dash overall because I just learned to be a much better collaborator at the company, learned how to uh, communicate with folks in a way that has helped driving the change that we all wanted to make and we all wanted to see. Uh, so in particular, I became very close with the engineering team and the engineering org, a lot of the engineering leaders. They helped me grow uh, into a leader and we just worked incredibly well together. So yes, I, I feel comfortable that <laughs> I, I will have a better path going forward in the future. And I learned the tools that I needed uh, to get past uh, the point that I was at. That's amazing. So what would you say would be your top three or top two or whatever <laughs> tips for someone to actually grow this confidence at work or in life? Uh, great question. I I think patience is a big one. Things aren't always going to happen as quick as you would want them to. Change is never instant, or if it is instant, then it's probably not the change that you're looking for. Um, so just be patient with yourself and be kind to yourself when things aren't going exactly the way you want. 
regressions are natural and, you know, uh, we need to work through them. Uh, when we do go, go through regressions, I think learning to accept that it's happening is okay and it's, it's not a problem. It doesn't pull you back down into the place that you were before. It's just a growth mechanism to help you learn that you can come back up on top again. Let's see, patience, uh, courage, courage and tenacity, I think are other big ones. Uh, so it's easy to say, I'm going to go do this thing. It's a lot harder to stick to your guns and <laughs> uh, make sure that you want to uh, make that change uh, overall. There are plenty of times that I tell myself and have told myself, yeah, I, I want to go do that. I'm going to make that happen. And then I don't commit to actually doing the work to make it happen. Oh, yeah, that's me and learning Python. <laughs> Yeah, likewise. Um, yeah, ideas are a dime a dozen. And it's easy to say, hey, I want to go do this. It's a lot harder to do the commitment to actually make it happen. So, uh, I, and I, th I think that's where I, I have been strong and uh, where I have been uh, able to progress is just sitting down and saying, I'm going to do this uh, no matter what, and just sticking to that thought process and committing to it. Yeah, I think, and also for on, on this one, so so your first one was patience, second one was courage, and I couldn't agree more with that. And you know, when you're saying sitting and then sticking with it to make it happen, I feel like you need to have a lot of, you really need to want it. So when I was saying, just like me and Python, I want to learn Python, but I feel like I want to learn Python more because the industry wants people to learn Python, not because I am passionate about learning Python. So it will probably happen when I have to rather than when I want to, because at the moment I want to learn about people development. So every time I open my laptop and I want to start doing Python, I'm like, oh, but there is this really cool article that's talking about learning and development. And I want to read that one. I, I think sometimes it's good to stop and reflect and realize that too. With data, it's very interesting, I think, because there are many different avenues you can go down, right? You can become someone who is more technical, like you said, uh, develops Python skills, works in machine learning models, is on the laptop day to day and talks to very few people. And that's great for people. Some people love that and some people thrive in that environment. Or there's people, which I imagine is more like your job and my job, that a there are still some strong tech, technical skills, but the technical skills come also in the form of communication and collaboration with other team members. So uh, I often work in SQL, which is often viewed as less technical, to your point, as somebody who knows Python or who is coding on the back end. Uh, but where I excel is knowing exactly how the systems of the company work and how everything is put together. So even without being a developer, being a strong coder, I can still put the pieces of how a company works together and that can help thrive in an environment. I, I say all this because I've gone down the similar, like I mentioned, route as you of wanting to learn Python, wanting to grow in that way, but always kind of naturally get pulled more into the collaboration field, uh, which I think is also great too. Uh, I think there's plenty of career development and I think it's just as helpful, if not more helpful for companies to have those type of analysts and rules as well. Yeah, and uh, that's, that's definitely going to be helpful for the next time I'm beating myself up for <laughs> closing them. <laughs> so, so to close the episode, 
to close the episode, I wanted to ask what it is that you're learning at the moment or that you're interested in learning about? Yeah, so I am somebody who has learned who, that I, I can get very absorbed in my work uh, and it can consume me. Uh, so I almost always need uh, some decompression after I get out of work. Uh, but my, I'm also one of those people whose mind is just always going. Uh, so what I've learned to help mitigate that is kind of a hobby that is, you know, analytics related and the problem solving that I love, but it's also, it's applying it to a totally different direction. Um, so with COVID, I got very interested in a hobby called bead weaving. It's called what? Sorry. Bead weaving. Bead weaving. Okay. So if you've seen, I, I guess a good example is moccasins where they have beads patterned out into it okay tapestries with beads or bracelets jewelry making that kind of stuff uh it's very analytical there's a lot of math problems that goes into it 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 can require a lot of geometry uh, but it's also hands-on building things almost like playing with legos really uh the way the beads snap together they just fit together so nicely uh, so it's it's really enjoyable to build these stitches and build these you know, three-dimensional shapes and projects uh, that require a lot of mathematics uh, and can have a very technical build to it, uh, but it's also very different from what I do every day. So I it's <laughs> a good hobby that keeps my mind going and keeps me active, but it's also a good disconnect from what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis uh, so I don't feel consumed. that's great i will definitely check it out thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today condes thank you i appreciate your time and uh, it's been great chatting with you it has thank you for listening to the women in data podcast we will be back in a couple of weeks with a new guest until then if you have two minutes it would be great if you could leave us a rating or a review as it helps not only to make the podcast more visible, but also to enhance the content. If you don't want to miss the next episode, follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We are also on LinkedIn. And if you wish to, you can even register to the community for free. All you have to do is head to womenindata.co.uk. Have a great day.